As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to the Metrospective. I'm Ted Berg, joined on the line by the Athletics Mets beat writer Tim Britton. And Tim, a whole lot has happened since we've last spoke. Has it? What's what's gone on? Did did is baseball happening? I've I've not checked in. I just kind of gave up. Has on the it. the big thing? It was I know it seems like I mean we're not on. I was gonna we're not in real life, but I'm guessing you have a, a slight tan. <laughs> You know, I actually I did reasonably well for myself that I did not get horribly sunburned. Uh, that was uh, you'll be happy to know that 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 was the topic of conversation that I had with Fred Wilpon the day he was in camp was about uh, the sunscreens that we both need to use when in Florida. Uh, it's a it's a it's always a good idea, especially in Florida under that sun. But you were at spring training, you saw actual baseball activities. Um, the Mets traded for for Chris Bassett. I want to talk about that a little bit. Um, but right now, you know, I assume everyone's already already sort of uh, reasoned through the Chris Bassett deal at this point. Um, and it does feel like the Mets competitors are acquiring players at a much faster rate than they are. Yeah, it's, you know, so we're recording this on, what, Tuesday, March 22nd. So I was in Port St. Lucie all of last week um, and I, I flew back over the weekend. Um, and, you know, the that spring training, like the pace of it is so different than usual. Like you're used to, like players not really having to do a whole lot the first couple days and then it's like oh man pitcher fielding practice this is exciting it's something and then by the third hour of pitcher fielding practice you're done with it uh and mm-hmm. then it's live batting practice that's fun um and then by the third day of that you're, you're tired of it and all of this stuff they've just like sped through in like uh a morning basically that they were yeah, they were on the they're on a simulated game on the main field by like the third day of spring training uh, so it's just a, a different uh level of of speed going through drills and so you don't see as much you know uh like someone asked me uh whether I, th- I thought the Mets were putting like an extra emphasis on on anything in spring training and at this point no because they're, they're just kind of doing everything really quickly like they did one day of of pop-up priority fielding drills that's usually you see them do that a couple days in a row or something uh and relays and cutoffs like they, they do they're doing this very quickly and all at the same time uh, so it's it's just a little bit of different paced spring training than what we're used to. 
I would say that my patience for, for spring training ha has sped at a, a much faster rate than usual, too. Like, normally I'm so psyched up for the first couple of spring training games that I'll, like, buy myself hot dogs and sit down and watch them if I'm not if I'm not down there. Uh, this year, it's like, no, I'm done. I don't, I don't care about spring training anymore. I know they need to get ready, but, like, I'm tired of it. Just, just play the games. Just play the games. Especially because Max Scherzer's throwing five innings already. He's good to go seven next time out. Yeah, I mean, he, day, let's just go. Let's go. Let's go. I like, you know, I go back to February when I, I talked to Max over the phone uh, and he was saying like, you know, I'm just it's it's I'm just going to be preparing like usual, like it's this time of year as usual uh, so that I, I'm ready to go once we get into spring training. Uh, and has he he's surely done that, uh, you know, coming out and throwing. Uh, four innings and 60 pitches in the sim game last week and then throwing uh, I think five innings in the first game uh, in his first game appearance so he's ready to go kind of six and 90 pitches his next time out 100 pitches after that and and roll into the regular season uh, where he wants to be uh, it'll be interesting to see how they they do that with other guys like Jacob deGrom is throwing uh, tonight for the Mets against the Astros and deGrom uh, has just done like live batting practice uh, he did an inning of live batting practice about 20 pitches uh, so I, I don't know how deep into this game he'll go. Um, and, you know, you can imagine them going into the season kind of the way they did in 2020. Uh, and, and DeGrom was held back by some back stiffness that year where, you know, that first game he went five innings and, and something like 59 pitches or, or something around there. Uh, maybe 70, uh, I forget. Uh, but, you know, where he's not going like the usual six or seven innings. Uh, and you can imagine right. that for a bunch of different guys in their rotation, uh, you know, Carlos Carrasco, for instance, is, is a bit behind everyone else. Taiwan Walker's a little bit behind even him, uh, so might not be ready to break camp with the team. Uh, so they've got a couple different uh, balls juggled in the air in terms of what they're going to do with their starting rotation, how deep those guys can go in, what, how they should carry their bullpen, whether we'll have an expanded roster beyond 26 guys right at the start of the season has not yet been finalized, which is strange mm -hmm. to me. Uh, but it is really nice to really know strange. that at least one of your guys and, and a very good <laughs> pitcher at that in Max Scherzer seems ready to be in midseason form for his first start. Now let's talk about the, the rest of this roster a little bit because uh, we saw the Braves traded for Matt Olson, the Dodgers signed Freddie Freeman, uh, Kyle Schwarber and Nick Castellanos have gone to the Phillies who are going to hit tons of home runs and play horrible defense and be super entertaining. Um, and And... You know, the, uh, the Mets, I think the Bassett trade for a win-now team like this one makes a lot of sense. They needed to fortify their rotation. You feel a lot better about it now with a very good, um, you know, really, a, I think a, a very good number two type starter behind uh, the two aces that they have. Um, and it just it just makes the, the whole rotation a, a lot longer. Um, you worry. I worry a little bit about the cost, just because it's it's uh, it's six years of two somewhat promising pitchers for one year of Chris Bassett, and when and when you're dealing with the A's, I think you always worry or kind of know that they're going to get the the maximum optimized value out of the guys you send over there. Um, but the Mets have not added anything on the offensive side. Michael Conforto is the last free agent standing. To me. Conforto makes sense for the Mets, but I can't reason through how the Mets make any sense for Conforto. Yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. Uh, in that, you know, you could, you know, Conforto at this point, who, you know, I, I never put anything past Scott Boris. Like it's possible he signs for for eight years and two hundred million on on Wednesday with some team, probably the Rockies. Uh, but like, you know, if he's going to sign kind of that one year deal to come back and hit the market in a more normal offseason next year. 
Uh, or Especially uh, after the year he had. Right, or a, a short, you know, I don't know if, if he'd be uh, trying to get the kind of Correa deal where it's it's shorter, uh, you know, maybe two or three years, but with opt-outs, you know, the, the deal the Mets signed with Cespedes after the 2015 season. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Mets, do, you know, he's not necessarily going to want to do it in New York at a, at a, a, let's face it, a pitcher's park uh, that he hasn't always had the most success in. You know, it, it's more fun to do that somewhere else, uh, you know, and have maybe a different environment. Um you know, so I think from from his perspective, he'd probably be looking for a better run scoring environment, better hitting environment, to have a shorter term contract. And from the Mets, he, he he does kind of fit. You know, they could use another left handed bat in particular in the middle of the order. That's why I suggested uh, Kyle Schwarber for them a couple weeks ago. Uh, and really, like it's it's fascinating when you think about just the sequencing of things. Uh, you know, if you look at the last three years, I like, you know, like uh, a lot of projection systems, I think it's best to look at the last three years of production rather than the mm-hmm. last one. Uh, you know, Conforto's OPS plus over the last three years, better than Kyle Schwarber, better than Chris Bryant. Uh, and, you know, certainly in comparison to Schwarber is a guy who can stand in the outfield uh, mm-hmm. a little bit better. He's better uh, than, than that. He's, he's a, yeah, he's I a mean, solid he's, he's, outfielder. Yeah. He's pretty, you know, an average uh, corner outfielder probably. You know, better than than Nick Castellanos in that that sense too. So fits fits the the roster pretty well, but it's just a matter of well, you already signed Mark Canna to do kind of similar things from the right side of the plate, different type of hitter, but similar overall production. Uh, mm-hmm. And you know, where does Conforto fit exactly for them? Do you want one of your outfielders? Uh, do you want Canna or Conforto being your DH on a regular basis? What does that do? To other guys on the roster, uh, the the perfect fit for the Mets would be like a left hand hitting. Uh, a guy who hits in the middle of the order is a left-handed hitter, uh, but could also play anywhere on the on the field. Could play on the infield, play in the outfield. Because what you worry about now, like Starling Marte, for instance, uh, is might not be ready for opening day. The Mets are still optimistic he will be uh, with his sore oblique. Uh, you know, guys generally like to take their time with that because otherwise it bothers them all season long. If he's not there on opening day, you start to think, okay, what's your opening day outfield? Are you back to Dom Smith? Brandon Nimmo, Mark Canna, and is that any better defensively than what you've been been running out there for a while? Uh, you know, it seems like Dom Smith and J.D. Davis are the backup plans, you know, playing the field for a lot of potential injuries. Uh, and, you know, the Mets might have been better off protecting themselves with one more even defensive-minded player that can, that can mm-hmm. fit into their lineup on a, a routine basis if someone is hurt. I want to get back to the lineup in a moment, but something I think we kind of need to address with with Conforto um, that's kind of looming over both the Mets and the Yankees right now is the New York City private employer vaccine mandate, which uh, has kept Kyrie Irving off the court in Brooklyn. And based on what, uh, you know, what the mayor Eric Adams had to say this morning, it doesn't sound like they're in a in a rush to make exceptions for baseball players and i mean it's got to be a consideration for the mets that that conforto was last year a guy who was saying do your own research yeah i mean to be fair there were a lot of uh, uh most mets players were, were were banging the the personal choice drum last year yeah i'm a, uh, I'm a little worried i'm a little worried and, Tim, because i don't know who what we're gonna find out here and we know uh that the Mets did not reach the uh, percentage threshold where they didn't have to go through COVID regulations. That includes coaches, too. So I, I've heard rumors providing a wide range of the percentage of Mets that were vaccinated last year from the very low to the very close to that threshold. Um, and, you know, th- there's a couple players who have been open about 
uh, being vaccinated, including Francisco Lindor, Max Scherzer. I think Jeff mm-hmm. McNeil told the New York Post that, that he'd been vaccinated. Um, I'm, I'm not one to go around the clubhouse asking each player that, right. that question. Uh, but uh, I think there, there certainly, when, when we first heard this, you know, for, you know, I've been thinking about this with Lindsay Adler of The Athletic. We've been talking about whether this would be an issue for several weeks, you know, since before spring training started. Uh, and I think the you know, Major League Baseball thought they were fine because uh, the sport is played outdoors in New York. Uh, and then both teams, when, when it became clear that you know, they would be held to the mandate, uh, figured that, well, we've got time and this would change. Uh, and now we're, mm-hmm. we're getting pretty close here where we're, what, nine, 16 days away from opening day and the Yankees play at home first. Uh, that, you know, there, there's not a lot of time. Certainly, if you wanted to get vaccinated, you wouldn't have enough time to be fully vaccinated uh, before then if you are a member of the Yankees. So I think it is looming over both teams. I, you know, it's hard to know how big an impact it would make without knowing precisely who is vaccinated and who is not right. for the Mets. Uh, you know, if and there's a lot of, you know, and there's and it's it's so easy to speculate and point figures and, and, and gas based on, you know, like little snippets of politics that people have that, that players have have given us in the past which is uh so frustrating just that this whole thing has become politics obviously but uh yeah it's you see a lot of, a lot of guesswork out there about and and, and that's just going to keep happening it's just going to keep happening until you know, we find out one way or another whether whether all you know 26 to 28 eligible eligible Mets roster members are are actually able to play in New York City yeah you know if it's if the three guys I mentioned earlier who, who said they were vaccinated, if they're the only ones who are, uh, that would be really damaging to the Mets. Uh, uh, Miguel, of, Miguel Castro. Of, no, that's Miguel true. Castro yes. is definitely vaccinated. There was a photo of yeah, him the, getting vaccinated. The picture vaccinated last year, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Pete Alonso, so while Pete Alonso has said, you know, it's everyone's personal choice, I'm not going to disclose it, uh, he did appear in an advertisement, and he has pointed out that he appeared in the advertisement for the vaccine. Uh, so I think that's him kind of toting the the clubhouse line of, of not disclosing Yeah, and it. that makes you feel better about the guys who have said the personal choice thing because it doesn't play. Because generally, I, when I hear someone say that, it means to me, I read it as this person is not vaccinated. But uh, if Pete Alonso said that, maybe it's just such a popular sentiment in a baseball clubhouse that even the guys, some guys who are vaccinated will just say, I don't want to tell you because it's a personal choice. And you can't really blame someone for not dis- disclosing personal medical information. Right. Uh, you know, and it, it could be a possibility where like, the only guy unvaccinated is your seventh or eighth reliever, in which case uh, that's not as damaging to the team's hopes of, of winning in their 81 home games. Uh, and and two, or th- two on the road at Yankee Stadium this year. I forget if it's if it's a full. Yeah, I think it's two. Um, so it's it's one of those just questions that hangs in the air over them that we we don't know yet. Uh, it's frustrating to not know. Uh, it's frustrating that that. Uh, we're still talking about this. That uh, there there is a relatively straightforward solution that is uh, <laughs> that has worked yeah, pretty well um, uh, to this point, uh, and yet uh, we're still here in March of 2022 uh, discussing this. Um, the Mets lineup. Here's a question for you. Something I've been thinking about, and I don't know if it matters. Who do you think will be the Mets' best offensive player in 2022? Not best position player overall. Best offensive player. I think it's probably Pete Alonso. Um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, you, you look at last year and, and really, you know, so much. Of, I think it's been interesting to see how various teams have valued the 2020 season, like in free agency. And we've seen right. almost everyone that had a, a bad 2020 season, like has, has not, that has not hurt them uh, in free agency. Right. 
uh, like Lindor, for instance, obviously. Um, and a lot of guys who have had good 2020 seasons were not helped in free agency. Uh, Marcelo Zuna last year, Conforto this year uh, as examples of that. And, you know, Pete Alonso had like, you know, a bad six weeks uh, in 2020 and then was, was pretty good down the stretch of that season in September. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the idea that he really needed to bounce back from a sophomore slump, I thought was overblown this time last year. I thought, you know, he'd had basically one six-week slump in his career and had, had otherwise been very good. And then he had a really good 2021 season. So I think if you look at the the whole body of work that he's put together in his uh, two seasons plus 60 games, uh, he's, he's a very good offensive player, uh, a guy who, you know, is probably going to hit more home runs than he did last year. Uh, not maybe 50-something, but uh, I'd probably take the over on, on what he did last year uh, and, you know, could be well-protected in that lineup. Uh, and is look, there's other guys who've been very good for brief stretches. Uh, like Brandon Nimmo is the other guy who was as you know mm-hmm. who was a very good offensive player for the Mets last year, but we haven't seen him play 154 games or anything like that uh, in a while. So uh, I'll stick with Alonzo. I think that's right, and in the, and it's not to knock Pete Alonzo. He's a very good hitter, like you said, and and he hit 53 home runs a couple of years ago. It's a um, the whole year kind of gets an asterisk because uh, major league hitters hit 600 more home runs than ever before or whatever it was. But, um, you know, even by the standards of that year, Alonzo led the league in home runs and uh, did get a top 10 finish in, in OPS. Um, and that's good. He's a good hitter. Like I said, like he, he's not the issue. And, and they are, it is a very deep lineup. Like right now, if everyone's healthy, you're looking at, uh, an above average major league hitter, most likely batting eighth, whether that's, uh, you know, if it's, if it's McNeil or if it's Eduardo Escobar or who, you know, um, whoever, I, I don't know how they're going to shape the lineup, but, but there's going to be eight above average hitters in there. Um, and, and presumably James McCann, who's the catcher batting ninth, that's, that's a good thing. And, and the depth is very good, but, um, and maybe this is just, you know, a vanity issue. Then the Phillies have Bryce Harper and the Nationals have Juan Soto and the Braves have Ronald Acuna. And there's just not a guy like that in the Mets lineup. Yeah, were you the commenter on my story the other day who pointed out that the Mets just don't have an MVP candidate on the team the way the other teams in the division do? I mean, you know, I think there's a case that, like, if Lindor bounces back and, and is the player he was a few years ago, he's certainly uh, an MVP candidate. He's just not going to be that bad. Yeah, like, uh, it's funny. I remember, uh, I think it was going into the 19 season, uh, writing that uh you know the Mets we did certainly didn't know what Alonzo was we didn't really have an idea for what Jeff McNeil could be at that point that if there was someone on the Mets roster who was going to win an MVP uh it was likeliest to be someone like Ahmed Rosario um that feels so long ago you know he had that good second mm-hmm. half um that yeah it's just the way I mean Alonzo is still a very good offensive player I think if this were the mid-1990s we would be saying of course he's an MVP candidate and, like the way he hits uh you yeah. just generally don't see guys who with his profile win MVPs anymore uh even though in 2020 you know we had two first basemen uh win MVPs in Freeman and, and Abreu they both had higher averages than, than Pete is likely to put up um but I, you know I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing like the some of the best teams I've covered. Uh, I covered a team that won the World Series in 2013 with the Red Sox, uh, and they didn't have your stereotypical MVP candidate. They had a bunch of guys who were very who finished in like the top 10 or top 15 in MVP. Uh, in but they had David Ortiz, Pedroia, and Els. Yeah, Ortiz is not a guy who's going to win MVP. Uh, not not in no, today's but he day is going to be a he is going to be a top five hitter. Yeah, right. Like he was a, a pretty consistently a top five hitter in the league. Yeah, uh, you didn't know that exactly in 2013 um, at this point, but. 
it is you know the Alonso is is not that good uh and I, I think what you would say about this lineup is like who is I think you've got a pretty good feel for what the top four is going to be probably Nimmo Lindor Marte Alonso if those guys are healthy um and it's kind of what what happens to the lineup after that because everyone else has the potential to be a good number five hitter uh but I don't know that there's someone there that you slot in right now and say I feel good about Eduardo Escobar hitting fifth or Canna hitting fifth or McNeil hitting fifth um, you know, I'm looking at the the lineup. Yeah, but I don't, I don't feel bad about I don't feel bad about any of it. You know, right. like they're, mean, they're if, all they're all good hitters. If your if your biggest question is who's hitting fifth, uh, that's better than other questions this team has had to answer in the past. Uh, like Robinson Cano is hitting fifth today, uh, as the lineup just came out. Uh, for the not Mets. for nothing. I mean, not for nothing. You know, I'm, look, I'm I expect nothing out of Robinson Cano this year, as as I think all Mets fans do. Um, if you talk about like even recent success, and and I know we're we're dismissing a lot about the 2020 season, but um, and I know Robinson Cano missed all of 2021, and I assume Robinson Cano has been de- based on his behavior dependent on performance enhancing drugs for for probably some time. But I don't, I can't, we don't know. Um, Robinson Cano is a really good hitter, right? Like when he's right, he and and some of these guys I mentioned, David Ortiz. I think about Nelson Cruz. Like there there is there is this hitting the skill that I, I do think um, ages extremely well. And so, like, I'm saying there's a non-zero chance that Robinson Cano is the Mets' best hitter in 2022. I'd be surprised. I mean, there's non-zero chance of a lot of things. Uh, I'd be surprised right. if he's their best hitter. I mean, you go back 2020, he was very good for them. Uh, you know, he's, he missed some time that year as well. Uh, I think being, you know, if he's DHing regularly, that helps a lot. I think... Uh, Showalter, Buck Showalter has already talked about that Cano is not going to be uh, an everyday player at this point in his career in, in the field or as the everyday DH. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't know how many at-bats, even if even if Robinson Cano has the best season you can picture out of him, uh, I don't know if he's a guy who's going to get 502 at-bat plate appearances out of it or if it's more like 350 to 400. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, the, certainly if he has the type of production he had in 2020 or, or for stretches uh, in 2019... Uh, that that could be uh, really helpful for them in balancing out this lineup because again, like we're so used to Mets being lefty heavy that they don't have quite the, they don't have the the Conforto in the middle of the lineup from the left side uh, the way they we've been used to. Right, exactly, uh, and and I, I love the I love the everybody gets. I don't know how much the players love it, but I, I you know spreading around the at bats so that a bunch of guys get three fifty to four hundred rather than you know you're uh, going with you're trying to get one hundred and sixty two out of out of all nine of your starting nine. I think is is the way the game is going. I think you know uh, load management, as they say in in the NBA, is a um, probably an underrated factor in in baseball success and. Uh, one the Mets are now equipped to pursue this year. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Um, we have a great question coming up, but before we get there, um, last thing on the on the current roster is that they did not sign Andrew Chafin, despite your many, many, many calls for it. Yeah, I'm, I've been a bit surprised at how they've handled the the bullpen. You know, they they added Adam Adovino since we last talked, so you've got kind of your your late which game. is a sort of very similar to Familia, right? And like high strikeout, high walk guy that like could be good, you know, and, and but like you also. I don't know that like Adovino, Adam Adovino right now in his career is a guy you're like, oh, that's going to be, that's going to lock down the seventh or the eighth. Right. Probably more of a, uh, you know, you're trailing by one in the seventh and he's pitching or you're up by, by two in the sixth kind of guy. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think you've got your, your late game trio. They probably want to use it is Diaz Lugo in May. Uh, and then Adovino and Castro are kind of the uh, flexible guys that, you know, if they have to pitch late in the game, you're, you're not, it's not ideal, but you're okay with it. Uh, it's not, you know, Jake Reed pitching in extra innings of a must-win game the way it was last year. Uh, and then beyond that, uh, you know, you've got Trevor Williams is, is almost certainly going to break camp with the team uh, as the, the long reliever or, or a spot starter kind of role. Uh, you've got now a couple different lefty options on minor league deals in Jason Shreve, Alex Claudio, uh, and Mike Montgomery. Uh, Shreve would, would have the leg up out of those guys. He's just had the, the most... The, the longest track record of success recently, you could have an instance where you take Shreve and Claudio. Claudio's better against just lefties, but more susceptible mm-hmm. to righties. And then Drew Smith would probably be the, the eighth guy in that instance. Uh, and, uh, or, you know, Smith or Claudio, something like that. Um, and it's just, that seems to me still to be a little shallow. Like you can start this, you know, the, the Mets used, uh, God, I don't know how many relievers did they use last year? Um, at least 16 and probably more than that. I'm trying to remember. Um, you use so many relievers uh, that you shuttle back and forth that a guy like Smith, who uh, you know is going to has options. You know, tw- sorry, 22 relievers they used last year. Um, 16 starters. Uh, a guy like Smith who has options, like you're kind of okay with him starting the year at AAA and being your ninth or tenth reliever. That that's going to spend a lot of the season with the team because someone's going to be hurt most mm-hmm. of the time in your bullpen. Right. Uh, so I thought there was there was room for another late game option, room for another lefty option, and room for just another option overall. And Chafin was a guy who satisfied all three of those. You know, Tony Watson is still out there. Uh, he had an up and down season last year between uh, Anaheim and the Giants, uh, but. You know that that would be an option. Andrew Miller, who's who's taken a step back the last couple of years since his deal in St. Louis, uh, they're not as uh, appealing to me as Chafin was, but still probably worth looking into uh, because of the the shallowness of the pen overall and from that left side. I'd definitely take a flyer on Andrew Miller. I know he hasn't been good in a few years, but uh, he was so good. You know, like you just hope you get that like that little Craig Kimbrell resurgence or whatever. You know, that sometimes a, a guy has just because he was so effective. Also, like. Uh, Super cool guy, it seems like. Uh, at least when he talks, you'd, you'd um, have you'd have a, you'd have three of the eight members of MLB right, exactly. Player Association like, subcommittee, uh, and, <laughs> it'd and be like a, a full blown socialism in the clubhouse. <laughs> and you mentioned Kimbrel, like that's another option that that is not totally off the table. Uh, you know, the, mm-hmm. the White Sox have 
have still engaged in trade conversations on Craig Kimbrell. He's, he's due to make $16 million this year. They're kind of in the position the Mets were that year with Jay Bruce, where they exercised the option thinking they'd, they'd find a suitor pretty easily. Uh, and they haven't found something, you know, something beyond like a straight salary dump. I think the Mets would be interested in a straight salary dump. I don't know that they want to give up something uh, of value back to Chicago. Uh, right. But that, that, you know, the, that's another option they could look into. It doesn't help from the left side, but would give them another, you know, if he, if you've got a late game. You don't worry of, too much about, I'm not worried too much about the platoon splits yeah. if, if you're adding Craig Kimbrell to the bullpen. If it's May, Kimbrell, Diaz, your seven, eight, nine guys, you feel, feel pretty good on a lightly, on a nightly basis. I will add, um, he ha- he was not good last year. I happen to love Alex Claudio. I, I don't know how much you've seen him pitch, but uh, he's a guy who gets by throwing like eighty-four mile an hour fastballs, and I just and like you know like the the funk. He's got a funky delivery. He's got high socks. Like I, I just I've always enjoyed watching. I, I always like the the crafty guys, and and he's definitely that. And so I kind of am rooting for him to have a nice season. Um, but I want to get to our question, which is a great one, and it's from Nick Pauly on Twitter, NYC Pauly nineteen. He wants to know, and I didn't prepare you for, you weren't as prepared for this as, as I was. Uh, so I'll give you that that qualifier to start, to start with. Pretend Appreciate you can it. make a three-way trade between the 2000, 2006, and 2015 postseason teams. And he's referring just to the postseason teams. Uh, they are not, like, they. this is not for the whole season, just for the postseason. What would you do to bring each to the promised land? The traded player can be replaced by anyone on that year's 40-man roster, uh, he says we can get a bonus trade, but that's too complicated. Let's just make one three-way trade here. Have you, do you have an answer? Because I have, I have, I think the correct answer. Okay, like I, you know, you gave me like 15 minutes to think about this, which is yeah, not enough time. I, wanna, I mean, this is this, too good. I, if if you gave me this, start here. I could write, I could write 2,000 words on this pretty easily. Um, I think you look at okay, what do what does each team need the most? Mm-hmm. Uh, the 2,000 team. Uh, they needed a shortstop because Ray Ordonez got hurt early in the season. Mike Bordick got, uh, was, was ineffective after the trade and, and wasn't totally healthy uh, into the, the postseason. Uh, the 2006 team, uh, again, because of late season injuries to uh, Pedro Martinez and Orlando Hernandez, needed a starter. Uh, the 2015 yeah. team, I think, is, is the most interesting case because uh, it, it, there wasn't like a gaping hole on it. They also could have used a shortstop because of Tejada's mm-hmm. injury. Uh, they yeah. could have used a better defender at just any position, basically. Um, right. And, uh, you know, the, the bullpen right. was, was tempted, a little shallow. But, the, but the, I was tempted to say you just put Beltron on the 2015 team and, and win that year and forget about 2000, 2006, <laughs> right? Because if Beltron's on the 2015 team, they wouldn't have run away. Yeah. So so what I came up with was trading uh, Noah Syndergaard from two, 2015 uh, to the 2006 team. Which could which needed mm-hmm. the starter, uh, the 2016 and, and Syndergaard could be replaced by Cologne in the rotation. The the 15 team had that depth. Uh, the mm-hmm. 06 team. This is the this is the difficult one. Uh, right. Trades Jose Reyes to the 2000 mm-hmm. team, uh, and you can debate whether uh, Reyes for Syndergaard is is good enough there. And I don't know exactly. You know, Anderson Hernandez was on the postseason roster. That's that's yeah. Is he the is he your shortstop? Chris Woodward was I think the backup shortstop for a lot of that season. Uh, you know, that's the 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 rub there. Who's your leadoff hitter now? Um, but they had a good offense that could that could probably get by with that. Uh, and then the 2000 team, this is my favorite because it will bother everyone, uh, would send to the 2015 team Armando Benitez uh, because nice. uh, so much of you know Jerry's Familia gets a lot of uh, crap for the 2015 World Series. Uh, two Undeserved. The, two of the three blown saves were not really his fault. The third one, yes, in game one, definitely his fault. Right. 
Uh, but you know, if you have Benitez, but remember, and, game one, game one, if Beltron is on the team, there's no inside the park home run. That is true, uh, and and you'd have a great Beltron versus the Royals storyline. Uh, but right. if you have Benitez and Familia late in games, you're not using Tyler Clippard uh, in those spots, and you're not stretching out, say, Stephen Matz in game four, or even Matt Harvey in game five. You're you're managing your rotation a little bit differently if your bullpen is deeper uh, than that the Mets bullpen was that season. Uh, and so uh, I think you know that. Obviously, the Mets were, were close in those games in the eighth and ninth innings of that series uh, that Benitez might be, uh, you know, if he performs up to his regular season standard, would be helpful. I like your trade. Um, I don't, it might be better than mine, but I, it's interesting. We both, um, we both traded Jose Reyes off the 2006 team, despite the obvious, the lack of replacement there. Um, and you could, I'm thinking like, well, I just slide Jose Valentin over, which is going to give you kind of a, a defensive gap there. And I, then I don't know who plays second base in, in Jose Valentin's stead. Um, so, but I, I am still doing that. I'm, I'm trading Jose Reyes, but I'm trading Jose Reyes, uh, also for for pitching because the 2006 team like it's you obviously that team needs to get pitch starting pitching back in return so for me 2006 Jose Reyes goes to uh, the 2015 Mets I have been uh, also with this hypothetical given the foresight to know that Ruben Tejada is going to get <laughs> upended but I know I know Chase Utley's on the Dodgers I know his plans so you know I am I am anticipating that I'm guessing, you know, maybe Reyes jumps a little bit higher than Tejada and avoids the injury there, um, because I think Reyes makes that that 2015 team just just so much more complete with a with a good defensive shortstop there. Um, so the 2015 Mets. Um, so one thing you don't think about with the 2000 Mets is they were extremely right-handed in the lineup. The uh, Piazza, Alfonso, uh, just all the good. They had Ron Ventura, uh, who did not have a great season that year. And then, uh, yeah, uh, right. And uh, also, I think he was, a, he was a little bit above average that year, but they could have used a lefty bat. So I'm sending Curtis Granderson from the 2015 Mets to the 2000 Mets because um, they needed outfield help, too. Um, and then Rick Reed from 2000 to 2006, because Rick Reed um, is sort of a three-four guy on the 2000 on the 2000 team, and and I think he's like the second best pitcher on the on the 2006 squad. Yeah, I mean that the 2006 team just needed, uh, you know, in my scenario, you know, you've got Rick Glavin, Reed. you've got Glavin, Syndergaard, uh, Main, and uh, Traxel would still be your your fourth starter, uh, but that's a little bit better than. Uh, <laughs> than what they ended up with uh, in that NLCS uh, yeah. with with track with Perez pitching twice. Um, so it yeah it's 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 fun to think about just how close those teams were that that late season injuries especially in is uh, not a late season injury but that uh, you know that that 2000 team not being whole on the infield hurt them. Uh, the, the 2006 team, obviously, if, if they had uh, a healthier starting rotation, would have been in a be- in a better spot. Although, to be fair, they won Game Four that Perez pitched uh, in the NLCS, and he pitched quite well mm-hmm. in Game Seven. You know, you can say that their offense right. was re- or or their bullpen. Uh, you know, all all three of those teams, what they all had in common, and and that they can't fix for one another, is that their closers uh, blew some big saves for them or blew big games for yeah. them uh, late. Uh, and that is uh, why Mets fans uh, really o- almost always dislike their closer because they all know what's going to happen come October. Uh, I think another consideration is just how funny it would be to send like any of Harvey, of Matt Harvey, Jake DeGrom, Noah Syndergaard 2015 
back to 2000 because I think they would all be like more or less unhittable at that point. Like I think major league hitters of, of 2000 um, and 15 years doesn't seem like that big of a gap, but like look at the velocity numbers uh, from how they changed from 2000 to 2015 or from, I don't know when they started tracking. It might've been like 2002, but it's just shot up, you know, and like Syndergaard's guy, all these guys are throwing high nineties and low nineties sliders. You did not see that from a starting pitcher in 2000. So it would be fun to see that. I think another consideration here is what happens after the postseason. Like, I think I read the question as contained, like, you're, you know, like we're not, we're not forcing Noah Syndergaard to exist in 2006. Now um, he's going to return to his, his time period and when he's done, but um, just a consideration is like Sean Gilmartin is like fairly close to the history of human events. And so maybe just sending him back to 2000 just changes the world in a way that's so impactful that like you want to roll the dice there but uh, and i don't know you don't know because it's not like sean gilmartin is is the politician he's he's married to a, a politician and we don't know how much effect she's had on the history of human rights i'm just saying he's close to it and so like if you're playing with things here you have to think about like how we're going to shift the future if you send someone i mean if you dare send noah Syndergaard back to 2000 he's like six foot seven he looks like a Viking. What are people going to make of him? I don't know. No, right? Like maybe he, maybe he is the greatest pitcher of all time. Maybe he is like thrown into prison somewhere because people are so afraid of his abilities. Syndergaard against uh, two thousand, you know, two thousand Barry Bonds is not quite peak Barry Bonds. It was a, a year pre-peak, uh, but uh, that would be a fun matchup in that division series to see uh, mm-hmm. see Noah go against against Barry for a few a few times in a game. I think Syndergaard beats him. Like I, re- I mean, Barry Bonds is special. I just think like they just. I just think even Barry Bonds would be like, "What is this guy?" Especially that version of Bonds. He wasn't. He hadn't quite solved baseball the way he he would from two thousand one through two thousand four. <laughs> right. Right. Um, anyway, it's a. I, it was a great question. Thanks for thanks to Nick Pauly for for sending that one along. Um, and if you have a question for the Metrospective podcast, you can. Uh, tweet at me. I'm at OG Ted Berg. Tim is at Tim Britton. You can email us. You can email asktedberg at gmail.com. Uh, find us on the internet. We are available and we love answering good questions. Um, Tim, the Mets have more spring training to come and I imagine we'll have some more podcasting to do. Yeah, we're going to be on a weekly schedule and then for the rest of spring training, I'll be back down in Florida and remember to bring uh, my podcast recording microphone uh, this time, which I didn't do last week. Uh, and uh, then I forgave th- you. I I think like you got to you need a you need a week to orient to yourself. I was texting you like I is, I don't know I didn't want to sound mean, but every time I've ever been to spring training, like by the second day you're in spring training, you have no idea what day it is. So I wanted to be like Tim. By the way, it's Wednesday. Like you're just like hey, are you available? But I couldn't think of how to do it without just being able to tell you what day it was because it feels like you need that. But I didn't want to be overbearing. Right. Yeah, you do. Uh, I remember uh, talking to a, a player a few years back, and the only reason he knew what day that it was a Sunday in spring training was that there'd be less traffic turning left into the stadium. <laughs> like that was it. Mm. Um, well, and, and reporters know there's there's baseball chapel, so there's not availability on Sundays. Right. A lot of times. Um, and then we'll go to twice a week once the season starts. We've got some exciting potential stuff going on there. So it, uh, we're, we're, we're almost there. 16 days till opening day, 16 days till uh, Jacob deGrom is toting the hill uh, or towing the hill uh, in Washington uh, against the Nationals. Knock wood. Not, knock on wood right now. I mean, you knock don't have to. I, I'm, I'm here knocking on wood. 
that that is what happens in 16 days. Yeah, that, it, it will be very exciting to uh, to be there for opening day, have, you know, uh, in front of a crowd uh, for the first time in a little while. I am excited for it as well. Can't come soon enough. Until next time, Tim, peace out. Adios.